welcome to the Pages of Light podcast, your destination for discussions of popular fantasy and science fiction novels from a Christian worldview. My name is Tyler, aka Verum, and with me, as always, is Gabriel, aka the Quarantine Quartermaster. Welcome back to the podcast, Gabe. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, because we're going to be talking about the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan, and I think... When I came up with the name Quarantine Quartermaster, I think most recently I had read about Quartermasters in this book. Very briefly, they're in the books, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is part of my origin story because I've read this uh, several times. <laughs> All right, very good. We now now we know the origin story of the Quarantine Quartermaster. It's always good to have an origin story for for the heroes, right? So that's right. All right. Um, yeah, make sure you uh, follow us on social media. Pages of Light, we're on YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all sorts of places. Go and follow us there. You can also check out our website, pagesoflight.com, and see what we're doing over there. And yes, as Gabe uh, mentioned, we are going to be doing the Powder Mage trilogy number one, which is called Promise of Blood. And yeah, it's a series that I've heard some good things about. And I've been excited to kind of jump into it, and it's a little bit different of a story than I'm used to reading, because I think I I read mostly like epic fantasies that are set in like more medieval kind of settings with swords and bows and magic and that kind of stuff. But this is a little bit of a different setting. Uh, Gabe, do you want to tell the people what kind of the how this is different than normal fantasy books? Sure. Yeah. Um, as a former history teacher, I'm not too into history, but let me just tell you. <laughs> that this is post-industrial revolution. So we have things like gunpowder and industry and unions and, um, you know, and then we have this kind of class struggle going on, uh, and that is kind of the main feature of this book. It's kind of why the book exists. It's around the class struggle that's existing between the haves and the have-nots. We have a ruling class, the royals in Adro, which is our main country that we're in, and um, we have the people who have kind of been stepped on for years, and uh, we have a leader, a hero, a field marshal named Tamas, who steps up and takes matters into his own hands uh, about the direction that the country is going to go in. And um, yeah, so it's definitely a different, uh, it's kind of almost unique in the fact, I well, for me personally, I don't think that there's a lot of um, books that incorporate you know in in the fantasy world that incorporate guns and magic uh so hats off to uh brian mcclellan for developing this uh uh his little universe here and uh it's it's a lot of fun and it's also um if you're reading with younger uh kids it's also pretty gory and uh (laughs) there's actually a few swear words in this book and i was like wow (laughs) I didn't remember that from the first read through, but um, yeah, definitely a different pace book from um, the other books that we've looked at in this in our uh, podcast, like um, Robert Jordan and um, uh, Brando Sando. Yeah, Brando Sando. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a different pace of book. Um, it's a lot faster, and it's got its yep. own unique. Uh, kind of time frame that we're in so what did you think of it uh on so are you gonna do full disclosure tyler yeah uh preface we're going so i have not 
I've not finished this book yet. Um, so we're doing half of the book today. We'll be doing up to about chapter 20, I think is where we're going to cut it short because it's 40 chapters. So it's about halfway through the book. So we'll do that. I have read a little bit fat, uh, past uh, chapter 20. I'm on chapter 30 right now. So I do know some of what happens afterwards, but we'll save enough so that we have enough to talk about for part two uh, whenever we do that. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be the plan for this this podcast. This and it's going to be tough for me, everyone, because I, yes. I've read this book several times and I've got to try and shut it down because, <laughs> as you know, Verum does not like a spoiler. Okay, so we've got to keep it on the DL for him. That's right. No spoilers in the comments either. <laughs> if I see a spoiler in the comment, in the comments, I'm going to riot. <clears throat> You're going to rage quit. Rage quit. The podcast is over. <laughs> I'm just going to just gonna cut it cut it off. No more. Oh, that's it. Um, yes. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Promise of Blood, uh, book one of the Powder Mage trilogy. We will plan to do the other ones in the uh, trilogy, I think. Not. We're not going to do them all in a row, though, so we'll, uh, we'll spread them out. Uh, over the course of the year, probably. Um, so yeah, uh, first section, we'll just jump in. Uh, we're going to do our favorite quotes or one of our favorite quotes. We'll do other quotes in uh, the second part. Um, so I'll start off. My quote is one from, uh, Taniel, who's one of the characters in the book. Uh, he, this is something that he says to himself in his head when he's, uh, thinking about his father, uh, who his father is Tamis. And uh, so he says, when would Tamis learn that expedience is, was not always right? And yeah, I just thought it was a good quote that, and a, th- a good thing to remember that just because something is um, the easy way or the quick way, uh, that doesn't make it the right decision or uh, like the best thing that you should do. So I don't know, there's just, that's pretty simple. There's not really like too much to read into that one, but I, just th- I thought it was a good tidbit, you know? Yeah, and um, I think that we as Christians, we are always um, looking, well, not, I think the human nature in us always seeks the easiest route, the path of least resistance, and um, following God is difficult because it's about giving up the expediency that we, (laughs) we default to, and taking the path following God is hard, but it is also simple at the same time. Like you are supposed to forgive people. You are supposed to um, turn the other cheek and to do those things and to swallow your pride and to swallow your anger in certain situations and to do those things. It can be tough. Um, But it's, but it's a very simple directive that you're supposed to do these things. Um, So yeah, I thought, I thought that was a good quote. Uh, that you chose here, Tyler. Yeah. What do you got for us? Okay, so mine is from Tamas to Nixlaus. This is a little past the uh, chapter 20 mark, um, but it reads, The world is changing. People do not exist to serve their governments or their kings. Governments exist to serve the people. So the people should have a say in those governments. Uh, Tamas to Nixlaus. Um, so back to what I was kind of saying earlier, um, that Tamas has uh, taken the reins of Adro, which is the country that we're in right now, and he does not like the leadership in the country, specifically Manhuch, the king, 
and how um, he's basically running up a lot of debt and not thinking of the commoners and the people who um, who serve him. And uh, basically, he he often says like, you know, you're you're eating, you know, food that would feed hundreds of people and, you know, in your parties and stuff, and you're not thinking about the common man and everything. Um, so I wanted to bring this quote in because, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like, a kind of the center point around Tamas's thinking, which, uh, is, yeah. has kind of led to the whole scenario of the book promise of blood. So, yeah. And we, we learned this so in the first 20 chapters. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of jump in and transition. Well, well, okay, I'll just do a short about uh, Tamis because it's kind of out of sync with what we had planned. But Yeah, that's um, okay. <clears throat> yeah, so Tamis has um, staged a coup. Manhooch has been king for a long time, and he has been uh, – Appointed by Kresimir, a god in this uh, Powder Mage trilogy world. Um, so Kresimir has appointed that there, in the Nine Kingdoms, that there will be kings that rule over the people. And Tamas has watched the country sink further and further into debt and that people are uh, not happy. And Manhooch is doing a really terrible job of governing the country. And so he takes things into his own hands by killing the cabal of um, privilege that protect the king and then sentencing the king and all the nobility to death and that is the promise of blood he is going to kill hundreds if not thousands of people by beheading them in the square (laughs) Um, did I mention that this book is a little violent and gory Uh, because it is and it also scratches an itch uh, that some of the other books that I've re- that we've read on the podcast just haven't haven't done. Um, yeah. So, uh, if you're reading with younger kids, you know I would preview the book before uh, <laughs> sending them on the adventure, and you decide what's good for your kids um, or for yourself if you're not into that. Yeah. But I found this book to be very compelling and very good, um, and I just kind of like this, uh, you know. He, at one point, Tamis says, like, I'm going to let them choke on their like own bloodlust and let the commoners see all the nobility die because there's just this so like he wants to feed this kind of rage that the people have felt towards the nobility, how they've been. Uh, there's lots yep. of injustice in this world. Uh, we have the haves and the have nots. And so uh, mm-hmm. Tamis is promising them that all the royalty and all the nobility are going to be brought down Um and uh, yeah, they even mentioned at one point that like there was a foot and a half of blood in in one of the square. <laughs> like there's so yeah. many beheadings like going seeped, on, seeped into like the bricks on the on the road. Yeah, and ter- turn them to uh, turn them to rust. Um, yeah. So that is the promise of blood. That is the title of the book, um, and that's and that's how the book opens. So it opens with a bang. Yeah, I like the kind of like the little tagline that the book has. It says. The age of kings is dead, and I have killed it. It's kind of like yep. That's Tamis's Tamis's thing that he does at the very beginning. This book also had a cool thing, like whenever you first open, like just even the first page, it has like this little preview of like the book, and it kind of gives like wow. Tamis's uh, Tamis is like talking to himself about why he's doing what he's doing. So I think it was like that's like a cool thing that you just open the book and you're like, oh, I can just read 
you know, like a little excerpt of the book just so I can see if it like is a style that I would enjoy. That was, I thought, thought that was a cool thing. Oh, that was not included in my audible edition. So oh. the benefits of paperbacks. <laughs> oh, you might have to send it to me. <laughs> I think it's something that they pulled from the chapter though. Okay. So yeah. I have read it. At some yeah. Point. They took a, a portion of like i think it's even in the first chapter they just took it and they put it into the oh, onto okay. the first page yeah very nice but yeah i thought it was a good idea to get you hooked and engaged um yeah so kind of speaking of like with that quote that gabe mentioned about like the monarchy and uh tamas's kind of conviction that governments exist to serve the people uh instead of the other way around um we can talk a little bit about like monarchy versus democracy this has a very like french revolution kind of era uh in mind and it's uh and and the french revolution also was a pretty bloody revolution so they overthrew all of the monarchies and they basically did the same thing they took them out in the streets and they beheaded them with the guillotines um and like well not unfortunately like the the whole all, like the whole stuff with the French Revolution kind of blew up in their face because even the people who led that revolution, they ended up getting killed themselves. So it was kind of like a big messy situation over there uh, in France. So I don't know, maybe that will happen to uh, Tamis at the end of the story. Uh, he gets beheaded by his own... The, the monster that he created will destroy him. So I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm interested to see the, the end of the story, although I haven't gotten there yet. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's the, basically the big struggle in the whole book is like the monarchy versus the democracy, uh, especially at the beginning. Cause he has to fight a civil war with some of the remaining, uh, people who are loyal to the monarchy. And then there's kind of like a pivot to whenever he, uh, gets that civil war under control. Then he has like a pivot to like an outside force that is coming to take them over because they sense a bunch of weakness in the in the kingdom of adro because there's a a civil war of course and there was just a big leadership change and the it's the kez that's the the enemy yep the enemy faction the invading force yeah they're coming in to take oh. over so it's there's a lot of cool like political stuff going on with within art within adro between the monarchy and the people who want to change it into more of a democracy um and then there's the outside invading force and there's there's a bunch of other uh kingdoms as well that are around the area that we don't really get to explore too much in this book we just kind of hear bits and pieces as we go along um so yeah next let's just talk a little bit about the magic system which yeah again is pretty cool so you basically have a few different like types of uh magical beings or magical people so you have people called nact that's like the lowest level then you have the powder mages, which is what Tamis is. He's a powder mage. And then you have privileged, who are kind of like, I guess they're like more pure, like magical beings. Like they just have abilities innately and they don't have to use anything like uh, black powder to fuel their magic. And then you have the Preday. No, the Preddy. Is that how you said it? you yep, pronounced it? Preddy. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have the Preddy, who you, we learned basically at the very, in the very middle of the book, uh, around chapter 18, 19, 20, is when we learn about the Preti. And they're, like, super privileged. Like, they're some of the original magic users 
in this world and they're really powerful so um all right so i'm going to jump in and geek out on some of these yeah all right let's go (laughs) okay so enact uh so we have a character named olam who is going to become tamas's new bodyguard and he is enact and his uh ability is he doesn't need to sleep yeah so he is up at all hours and it doesn't bother him because he doesn't need to sleep that's his knack and then we have Adamant, who is another Nact, and he uh, is able to remember everything, period. Photographic memory. <laughs> yep. Eidetic memory gifted uh, to him. And then we have some other minor Nact people, um, people who can sense lies and people who can pick locks. And um, mm-hmm. and then we have a big Nact person, or believed to be a Nact, uh, which is Mahali. And he is—he uh, has a knack with food. He seems to be able to make a lot and make like delicious food out of thin air. Yeah, and that's like—they <clears throat> um, mentioned that a knack's power could be like super big, uh, like you know, creating food out of thin air. Even though they're not privileged or anything, but they could have a very specialized knack that makes them very powerful. <clears throat> Um, Oh, man. And then we're going to get into the powder mages. So, like, Tamas is, like, the OG, like, powder mage. He, uh, and he's also, like, a, yeah, he's, like, super powerful. He's also a great tactician. He's the leader of um, the the army there uh, in Adro, and he's called the Field Marshal. Um, And he, so basically, powder is, like, a way to uh, a powder mage uses gunpowder to kind of power themselves up so they can like enter into a berserker rage if they breathe in like the powder and they have like charges of powder that go into guns and then they have horns of powder um and we learn that like taniel is kind of addicted uh there's this whole like addiction thing that he comes in and he's like sniffing powder at one point in the story he's sniffing it straight out of the box he's not even doing the the thing and he's like entering a powder trance and so it makes him like superhuman he can take yep. a lot of damage uh and outlast other people and then they have like really cool abilities like tamas is really good at um like he can take a bullet and shoot around corners that's like one of his gifts uh the powder mages like vlora uh who we hear a little bit about um who's who was engaged to taniel at one point um is able to ignite powder and make it explode from a distance. Uh, and then Taniel is called Taniel Two-Shot. So he, he's he got this great thing where he can uh, put two musket balls in his rifle and he shoots it. And then he does this thing called nudging where he can, um, like, he can take the bullet and then keep it lifted by burning powder so it shoots longer and farther and then he nudges the bullets like left and right up and down just so just perfectly so that they can hit the mark every time um so every time he makes those micro adjustments he burns a little bit of powder um to do that um and then we'll go into the privilege and they have to have their privilege gloves which are white with like gold or red runes to touch the else um, and that's when they are able to, they like do weird finger motions to summon like yep. wind and other elements and stuff. And they can heal and they can, uh, slice buildings in half and, um, blow things up. Yep. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen when you're dealing with a, um, with a privilege. The privilege um, kind of remind me of the, uh, the magic users in the shadow and bone universe where they have to use their hands to make kind of some kind of uh, symbol to cast the magic, 
I'm blanking on what they're called because it's been a while since I watched the Netflix show, but it's similar to that if you've seen that show or read those books. I think I I think there was a book and I think I read it several years ago. But yeah, I, I have one of the books remember. up there. I'm planning to read. Um, but yeah, shelf. it is a Netflix show, and they're I think they're shooting season two right now. Something like that. My wife has watched all the Netflix stuff, like Witcher and that. And, um, yeah. Um, really cool. And then you have the Preddy, who also use their gloves, uh, but they've kind of, like, they're old. <laughs> like, when we're talking old, they're like... <laughs> like elves. Old like thousand back to years. the time. Yeah. Old back to the time of Kresimir, um, which is a god in this world, and he walked uh, the earth um and super powerful you know being um as a god usually are (laughs) and um yeah so definitely love uh the whole powder mage idea um that you have these people who can like supercharge themselves by using gunpowder very um kind of unique um i like how they call it sorcery in this book they don't call it like magic they they call it sorcery and like uh the um, the narrator of the uh, Audible book, he's just got this like gritty voice and he like reads it and he's like, and sorcery entered the world and you're like, ooh like that sounds so so much more dangerous than like magic you know, coming into the world. He's like, sorcery and uh, so I like, I like the use of the word sorcery over the magic. I just feel like it fits the theme, the gritty. Yeah, sorcery makes it seem like hand. more darker and gritty and because yeah. magic is like, woo, magic, that's cool. Kind of more, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> more fun, I guess. Magic is uh, more Disney, more Disney-like. Yeah, yeah, but sorcery seems seems like it's a we're going to a dark place when we talk about sorcery. Oh yeah. Sorry, I just had to geek out there because it's like. Really yeah, cool. no, all good. It's good, <laughs> good, good to good to geek out. We like geeking, and of course, side quests. We gotta have side quests. Um, yeah so let's just jump into some of the story a little bit we kind of already talked a little bit about uh, Tamis overthrowing uh, the king Manhooch and he uh, so he this is basically the first chapter of the book where we kind of get this we basically get the aftermath of the coup we don't get all the stuff that happened up to the coup we just get the coup has happened Tamis has won Manhooch is dead and along with most of his other uh, cabal. And uh, so he uh, institutes like a new council and he has a few people on this council that are going to help him. It's basically like the president's like uh, cabinet, like where he gets a bunch of advisors to help him run different parts of the, uh, of the country um, because they have specific expertise in certain things that he uh, does not have. Um, so we have Ricard Tumblar, who kind of runs a bunch of the labor unions. And then we have Lady Wenceslav, who is one of the noble women of Adro. And she runs uh, a mercenary group called the Wings of Adam, who are like really strong fighters. Uh, maybe if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, maybe they're like the, like the Unsullied or like the Golden Company, um, something like that, where they're like paid mercenaries who are highly trained and highly specialized. So she runs that group and then we have Andras the Reeve who's like the finance minister 
Do you remember why he's called the Reef? I don't remember specifically why he's called that. No, I don't remember either. I wonder if I can figure that out, but um, yeah. Um, anyways, then we have uh, an Enuke, a eunuch, not an Enuke, a eunuch, uh, who's known as the proprietor. <laughs> we actually don't know his name, um, but he has a lot of connections in the Andran underworld, like with uh, like thieves and uh, uh, assassins and those kind of people. And then we have the link to the church, the Crescent Church leader. Uh, his name's Archdiocel Charlemond, and so that is the group that he has assembled to help him run the country and they also were uh, instrumental in helping him to um, like enact this coup and make this coup happen they were able to support him uh, in this and that's why uh, they're the ones that are going to be leading the country uh, afterwards do you have a, a favorite council member oh uh, just real quick a reeve historically means a local official in particular chief magistrate of a town or district in an anglo-saxon england and in canada it's the president of a village or town council that's what a reeve is um yeah so (laughs) all right so do i have a favorite council member um i think they're all interesting um Rickard Tumblr's kind of like a ladies' man, but he's also in charge of the unions. I find that interesting. Uh, the Wings of Adam will play a big role in the whole trilogy, so we'll learn more about how they are um, organized and how they fight and stuff. Um, just a quick caveat. They are um, a hireable mercenary force, but unlike the Unsullied, they are made of normal people. I feel like the Unsullied were introduced, like the guy goes up and like, Sorry for this being a graphic description, but he cuts <laughs> off the nipple of one of the Unsali and he just kind of stands there like, this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, this and is fine. These are, yeah. It's like that, it's like that uh, dog meme where like there's the fire all around him. He's like, this is fine. Yep. Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, so the proprietor is just shadowy. We don't know much about the proprietor, and he's represented yep. by the eunuch. Um, and then Charlemagne is is like a great fencer, and he has been like uh, promoted to the archdiocese, which is a leader in the church. And at one point in the book, and I apologize if you haven't read this, Tyler, but they say like, no one can trash your life as thoroughly as the church can. <laughs> um, so when they're talking about comparing the power of the relative sure. council members, they were just like, yeah. Uh, I'm so sure he, some people today he, would say that about the church. <laughs> yep. I'm sure they would. Um, so no, I don't really have a favorite. Um, they, they are all, I think it's a, it's a good cast of characters though. Cause they all are they're all very different. Um, yeah. And they're all integral to like how a country is run. Yeah. Integral. 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 Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a good cast that, um, he has chosen here. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of go along with the story here, the kind of the first thing that Tamis has to deal with. So we're going to do basically Tamis's story and then we'll go and do Taniel and then we'll do Adamant. And I think that's we'll, when we'll be done or maybe we'll do, I don't know. Maybe we'll do Adamant after Tamis. I don't know. Cause Taniel's kind of where we end. I don't know. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Um, But so we have basically a civil war breaks out 
between there's a a general who is loyal to the monarchy his name is general west even he's like really old i think they said he was like 70 or 80 or something like that um when he was mm-hmm. on vacation which is why they did the coup when he was on vacation because they didn't want to have to deal with him because he's like a he's like tamas he's like a tactical genius and uh, a really uh decorated uh war uh general and so West Stephen comes back from vacation and he gets all of the people who are loyal to the monarchy and he basically has like a last stand and he takes over um, basically the center portion of the town um, to kind of hole up and I think there was something strategic about that part of the town that Tamis needed which is why he took it I can't remember specifically what it was I think maybe it has something to do with like the food stores or something like that which is why he took that yeah, I'm portion. I'm not sure that that's recall not recalling it either. Um, yeah, and so basically that group is called the Royalists, the yeah. people who are um, in in for like there should be a monarchy, there should be a king, and we should be following them. Yep. And um, I think at one point they have Jacob, um, who, which we haven't mentioned yet, but there's a, a storyline about Nyla, who is a laundress for. Um, Duke Elderman, I think, and he has a son yep. named Jacob, and he basically is the only kid who survived the slaughter. That um, so, yeah, I like when Tamis finds Manhooch in in the palace, and he's like, uh, "This is uh, your day of judgment. I am your judge. I am your jury. You are found guilty, <laughs> and you will be beheaded tomorrow." Yep. And then he just starts beheading a lot of people. Um, yeah, because that's how Tamis rolls. Uh, like we said, this book is a little bloody and gory, but you know what? It's still a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and so Jacob is with Westhaven, and um, he's they're saying, like, we need to put him on the throne. And Tamis is at one point, he's like, he's a child. You're going to put like a five year old like on the throne. <laughs> like, what are you what are you thinking? Um, and. Yeah, so then we have we have the royalists who are fighting, and um, I guess do we go into just how that goes down? Yeah, I mean, I, I think basically they have like this little kind of showdown, and they're gonna go talk to each other, just trying to see if they can have some kind of truce or you know whatever it is. And West even is demanding that Tamas surrender, and. Tamus is going to demand that he surrender. So they're kind of at an impasse and uh, basically like the, the negotiations break down and there's some kind the of privileges start and the pretty start throwing fireballs. So yeah. Basically so have, that's what happens. And West yeah, even kind of gets um, caught in the, in the middle of it and he's like severely mortally wounded and they take him away. And uh, yeah, basically there's just a big civil war and eventually the, who are we calling the people on Tamas' side? The uh, um, yeah. I don't know what to call them. <laughs> the the, uh, the, re- the anti-monarchy people, <laughs> the people who don't want the monarchy. They uh, they come out on top eventually. Um, just because call them the people, the people versus the yeah. the royalists. Yeah, the people versus the royalists. Because Tamas is kind of like the hero of the people. Yeah. Or he wants to he wants to be seen like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So eventually they come out on top, just because I think they have a little bit more. They have more people on their side, and um, 
they have some pretty powerful privileged as well, although the royalists did have a, a pretty powerful privilege as well, which we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes. Um, and yeah, then there's some a little bit of a, some downtime, and uh, Tamas is trying to like recover from the civil war and get all of the like the infrastructure of the country kind of back on track because you know whenever you have a civil war there's a lot of destruction and a lot of people die people who were running certain parts of the country need to be replaced and all that kind of stuff so he kind of has to take all of those different things and put them back together so that the country can function in a proper way again um and i think this is where we get to meet a character who's the who's the he's like a chef his name is mahali and uh he claims to be the uh Ad- adam reborn who is the god kresimir's brother in the in the histories so he's claiming to be adam reborn which is why he is such a great chef because he has uh this knack or this ability to like make food out of thin air and he's he's really skilled at like making the actual dishes too like they all taste really good and he's really spoiling the uh (laughs) the soldiers who he's feeding and they love him so much and he's keeping the morale basically up of all of the (laughs) of the whole army because his food is so good um so yeah i think mahali was a pretty cool he's a pretty cool character i like him every scene that he's in he's just kind of he's pretty jovial pretty happy and uh yeah, he makes some makes some good. What was the the soup yeah. that he was really looking forward to eating? Like the squash soup, I think it was that Tamis oh, yeah. loved so much. Yeah, so I I love how Tamis like uh so he gets introduced to Mahali. He comes in and he's like, "I am your chef," and uh, and then <laughs> and someone's calling him a cook, and Tamis is like, "He's a chef." He's like, "Stop it! He's a chef." No cook. <laughs> and, and this is before he's like committed to the whole thing. But you know, um, so Adam was a um, Adam reborn is supposed to be a god, and I just think to Jesus and the um, and the fish and the bread that he broke for five thousand, and how he kind of mm-hmm. um, fed the people from um, basically nothing. Yeah. And so same sort of deal here, except. Harley is doing it in style. Like he's putting in biscuits <laughs> and he's putting, yep. And like putting it in, he's feeding nine course meals to everyone. Uh, and I kind of like his approach. It's um, so first of all, I think that feeding people is like one of the best things you can do. Like, like if you can take someone to your house and feed them, like, I don't know about you, but when someone like feeds me really good food, like I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> yep. Um, and so Jesus broke bread for, you know, 5,000 people. And from my understanding, um, that was 5,000 men at the time. And they didn't really, quote unquote, count women and children in that mix. Yep. So he just um, so there were 5,000 men's or heads of family. And then yep. he fed all these people. And that is just God's abundance right there. Um, and um, God is able to produce you know, uh, Jesus is able to produce all this stuff because he is God and he's able to, uh, feed all the people. And, you know, in a time before mass production, you know, this is unheard of and it's just a, you know, a carpenter, um, and a rabbi who is Jesus, you know, feeding all these people. So, um, I love how, um, uh, we look at Maharley and he's like, 
basically giving morale to everyone because of his yep. um, ability to be a good chef. Um, so just like shows the importance of God food. At the, like the yeah, importance I mean, of food we, and hospitality and making people, you know, feel like they're at home almost because the more you feel at home, the more comfortable you are and the more Leslie more uh, you're less likely to like complain about your circumstances if you're, you're well-fed, right? Yeah. And that can be, um, I could say that could be a double-edged sword. If, <laughs> uh, like if you're just being so well-fed and you're not thinking about anything else, but True. that's not really where I'm going with this comment. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, I thought that, yeah, he's just a fun, ca- I just enjoy the scenes that he's in. Uh, like Tamas goes down and, um, like explores the kitchens and he's in there and he's like making food and um he's got all these like women like helpers and they're his students all... remember oh yeah his his pupils yes. everyone is a pupil <laughs> they must learn um it is mentioned some point that uh he had over 400 wives um at some point <laughs> so he he did enjoy the women uh that sounds Adam. like sounds like solomon yep Kind of that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I just thought he was a fun character. Like he was kind of like a um, like almost like a comic relief in the way that he deals with things. Um, yeah, with all the death and destruction and blood going around, we have Mahali making really good food for people <laughs> and being witty. Lobster bisque and other yep. things. Or lamb souffle. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's a fun character. Yeah. Uh, I think another parallel, like with with Jesus with him is just how he like satisfies people's hunger with the food. And that's kind of what, like what Jesus does for like our souls. He satisfies our, our needs and like our, mm-hmm. our, our true needs, not like the things that we, you know, want and desire because of our sin nature, but the things we really need, um, Jesus satisfies those things. And that's kind of, um, if we're making the parallel with like Mahali and Jesus, like that's kind of another, little thing that i kind of see there between the two of them like woman at the well like come to me and you will Mm -hmm. uh be satisfied and like you know your body needs this water but i'm really the um the thing you need to partake of to to feel satisfaction uh with like your soul and uh, like the and and how you feel inside versus just meeting the needs of the flesh yeah Very good. Um, so then I think the next big thing that happens with uh, Tamas's story is that there is a, a murder attempt on his life and he is in a like portion of, I don't want to call it a palace. I don't know if it's the palace that he's in, but there's this portion. I of, feel like, like the, he's in that huge government building. Yeah. Like this like, big government building. Fit. Yeah. But it's like a um, secret this, room. Yeah, this is a really yeah, this is like a secret room. It's a really good encounter too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and this is where all of like this is where they basically planned the coup. They found this room that uh, nobody knew about, and so all of the people were able to come to this room and uh, not be uh, found out. And so he went. He goes to this room to kind of think and be alone because nobody else knows where it is. And somehow. Uh, somebody gets in there to try to assassinate him. I think there was, uh, the things that they're, the thing that was sent after him was called a warden. And it's like this, it's almost like this enhanced human who 
like doesn't feel pain or he's able to take a lot of damage than a normal human would be able to. I don't remember if they ever like just specifically told us what the wardens are or what they do. Um, but they're really yeah, hard to so kill they, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. They're, so they're like worth 10 in a battle. They said, and they said yep. that they are warped by privilege sorcery. So a privilege is like, uh, they said that, you know, experimenting on humans is kind of frowned on, but the Kez are like, eh, it's kind of like the war crimes that, you know, Adolf Hitler had. Sure. They were experimenting on humans. Uh, and so the wardens are like these supercharged uh, people and they have like all these muscles. And like they said that they're even like live snakes under their skin, like the muscles would move and bulge and it like move around under their skin and everything. So this is kind of like a, another category. So we talked about. You know, the powder sure. mages, um, which Tamis is a powder mage, and uh, the privilege, and the pretty, and the knack. But we also have wardens here. Um, and so they're basically, like, super tough, and they can withstand a lot of damage. They're kind of like, um, I mean, I feel like, maybe not exactly, but there's kind of a parallel to the decor monks that we read about in, like, Brandon Sanderson's. Like, how yeah. they are uh, amplified in, like... Um, and, and they're also, like, it's not an easy path. Like, it seems like, you know, both, yeah. you know, the decor monks and the wardens are kind of tortured um, to get to this path of, or, like, to become this, like, superhuman, yeah. basically. But, um, yeah, it's a very interesting, like, uh, scenario. So the warden comes into the secret room and he confronts Tamis, who has got his two dogs in there, um, Pitlor and... Uh, Hrush. Krush. Krush. Yeah. And um, and so the warden, like, undresses, and he like t- he's just, like, left in suspenders, and he's like, I haven't feasted on human flesh in a while. I've never been given a powder mage so cleanly. Um, and then there's just, like, this fight scene. He's, like, he throws, like, furniture at Tamas, and Tamas is, like, old, but he's a powder mage, so... He's, like, still really spry, so he, like, ducks out of the way, and he, like, gets over to his coat, which has, like, some gunpowder, and then it, like, it talks about him just, like, inhaling it, and he's just, like, he enters what they call the powder trance, yep. um, and he's, like, he's, like, Roar! and then he, like, uh, <laughs> he, like, what was he, what uh, was he like a, again? Roar! and he, like, gets his sword, and he, like, runs through the warden, and um just <laughs> basically kills him and uh there's a point when the warden has um has tamis uh like like crushed up in his body and then the dogs actually attack the warden and free tamis and that's how he's able to get to his powder and become supercharged yep. um and then he hears his dog being basically mauled, mauled. Just, yeah <laughs> mortally wounded and it and it cries out in pain and and it's like it broke tamis's heart to hear that um and then the dog doesn't make it um i think that's pitlore who uh who dies they he tamis carries the dog up while he's all bloody and injured and finds the doctor and says doctor will you please heal my dog and he's just said there's nothing i can do and um the dog dies so that was sad but it also like shows you yeah, like, Tamas is not, he is a very, like, kind of cold, harsh person, um, and we'll mm-hmm. t- we'll talk about that a little bit in Taniel's story, but, I mean, t- 
to undergo like the revolution and the coup and everything um you know you have to be a kind of cold calculating person and yeah uh, you just kind of see tamas's humanity just a little bit in there as he's feeling yeah. for his dog so. yeah um so after the uh murder attempt tamas realizes that there has to be some kind of betrayer in his inner circle because nobody would have known about that room uh, besides the people who we mentioned previously who were in uh, his council. So it has to be one of the five people on his council that gave him up essentially and tried to have him assassinated or is at least in on in with the Kez because I think it was the Kez who sent the warden because the Kez, the Kez are the people who have the wardens uh, right. to send out. So somebody has betrayed Tamus to the Kez and tried to have the Kez murder him um, for whatever reason. And so this is kind of where we are going to stop on Tamus's story because he has to figure out how, uh, who, who is the betrayer, why they want to betray him and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so before we, before we do that, maybe uh, we can talk a little bit about just Tamus as a character, like who he is, his beliefs, that kind of stuff. Um, like you were mentioning that he's kind of like a, a cold calculating kind of character. Um, but I think he's still, he does have some soft spots and I think like he does love his son, even though he kind of treats him like pretty harshly. Um, he does love his son though. And I think, so in Tamus's history, he had a wife, obviously, because he has a son. And so the Kez uh, murdered his wife. And I think that's maybe a point in his life where he kind of became a different person after that happened. Um, and but he's like he's basically all about, like, getting the job done, like no matter the cost. He's like the ultimate pragmatist. And um mm-hmm. I mean, I think there is something to be said about being pragmatic and being somebody who gets things done, but sometimes that can take you to places maybe that you probably shouldn't go or you're going too far in some instances where you're all about getting the job done, but you're doing it in a way that is betraying your moral compass in a way. Um, I don't know. What do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? I, yeah, I think your quote from earlier, you know, that uh, Tamis is, uh, you know, expedient is just sure. what you're looking for to kind of describe him, you know, and, and it acts, you know, exactly what you said. When we um, jump into expedience, we are not looking to God for what is right because we are doing what's easy and what's fast, you know, yep. um, versus trying to... Um, try and get uh to like go through a situation and leave relationships intact and kind of feed other people because it's very easy to go through and stomp on other people and what they want and put your agenda first but you know the way god you know god calls us to be servants and we want to um lift the people around us up and to do things in a way that is honoring to the people around us and to be, um, you know, have a servant's heart. And Tamas, uh, I believe he has those traits, but like the quote said, he does things that are expedient. Um, So, 
you know, he um, he killed a whole <laughs> like <laughs> thousands of royal people, but he did it for the people. So like his heart, I feel like his heart is in the right place. Yes, he can't stand his country that he loves being run into the ground. He sees the common person and he says, this person needs help. I will be the hammer um, to bring justice to our system and I will mm-hmm. be that person. So uh, you you have like for me, I, I love Tamas like he, like his heart's in the right place. And, yep. you know, I would never murder someone. But like if if you got if you could get behind someone, I feel like you could get behind Tamas like he's going to do it. He's yeah. going to do it right. And he's. uh um, but you know, all in the first, like we're going to get into Daniel's story, but when he first comes back, you know, uh, he's, his Daniel's just, his thought process is like, you know, this is the first time I've seen my dad, you know, I want to kind of see him. And basically Tamas is like, good to see you, son. Here's your new assignment. We'll <laughs> see you later. And he's just <laughs> good luck. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. And, um, and I think you are right that he deeply loves his son, but, um, He's just got. He's he's gonna get it done. That's yeah. like his his thing. He's he's going to get it done, and yeah. he does step on the relationship with his son, um, and it's all in in the name of expedience here. I think he's like he's he's one of those characters who's like a man on a mission. He's sort of like I don't know if you've seen the Avengers movies. I assume right. Yep. Okay, so you have Thanos, who is basically he's a man on a mission. And, like, anybody who gets in the way of accomplishing his goal, he is going to just, like, wipe you out. Like, he doesn't care what you think or, like, what your reasoning is for doing what you're doing. If you're are you are, if you're in his way, you're going to get taken out. And I think that's kind of, like, Tamus's, like, how he, like, his MO for accomplishing his goal. Like, he doesn't care about anybody else around him. Like, unless you're with him together trying to complete the task like he doesn't care like get out of his very sight. machiavellian yeah sort of um but yeah like he does have those you can tell that he he does have like a deeper side cuz like he loves his dogs like he was heartbroken whenever he lost to the one dog um he has like the people that are close to him like his bodyguard Olam and Saban and like even at the very beginning whenever um some of the people that he went to uh, take over and kill man or like capture man hooch whenever some of his uh, privileged were killed like he feels for those people like he doesn't he didn't want any of them uh, any of his soldiers to die I think he's like a very good leader and a commander and he really cares for the like the people that, that he's leading and he wants the best for his soldiers um, it's just that like whenever you're against him like he has no mercy for you in a sense he'll crush you underfoot yeah um but yeah yeah i agree tamas is a is a pretty cool he's a good character um he definitely has some flaws um but yeah that doesn't still means he still doesn't mean he's not a cool and interesting and uh complex character um so speaking of him needing to figure out who his betrayer is um the the second character we're gonna look at is adamant i think that's how you pronounce it adamant um yeah and so he is basically like an investigator and in the first chapter it's actually his perspective that we get at the beginning of the story um of him going into 
the palace and seeing kind of the aftermath of the coup and all of the the dead people um and he just kind of like walks up and tamas is like covered in blood and uh i'm sure that's definitely what adamant was looking for that evening to walk into the palace and see everybody dead and get a job from uh tamas um so he the job that he's given is he needs to investigate the secret of Cresimir's promise um which is something that was spoken of by one of the privileged i think who was killed that's saying all of the privileges um who were killed in the royal cabal so the royal cabal is like the privilege are the mighty, you know, yeah. sorcerers and um, magic wielders. And as they're dying, they're saying, you can't break Kresimir's promise. And Tamas says yep. it was like an entreaty, like they were entreating him to not break um, yep. Kresimir's promise. And so uh, Tamas hires Adamant to kind of figure out what does that mean? Yep. And yeah, like we said earlier with uh, Adamant, he is... Um, He's able, he's a photographic memory, that's his knack, and so that's why he's a really good investigator, because everything that he sees, he remembers, and so he's able to recall people that he saw one time, Um, he's able to recall an article that he read 30 years ago, Um, you know, all this random stuff, so that's why he's really good at finding uh, out the secrets that people don't want to be discovered, and he's recommended by... I think one of the people who was killed at the at the in the coup uh is someone who recommended adamant to tamas that's why he is summoned to the palace are you gonna say yeah, something? yeah i can't remember if the guy was a marked so a marked is a way uh to describe a, a powder major it's just like their position um sure. so tamas calls his powder cabal so like his collection of 18 powder mages um marked mm-hmm. and i think they lose five during the um during the ta- the killing of all the um privilege in the royal cabal um but one privilege escapes um and kills five of the marked um and that's another loose end that we're going to talk about with Daniel's story yeah um and then adamant is on a mission so he's like going to libraries he's like and then there's like a going war everywhere. in the streets yeah and he's uh he's got his family out he's got like nine kids and the first thing he does is he goes home and he says uh to his wife Faye, you need to get a carriage you need <laughs> get to get the, the heck kids. out of here you need to get yeah you need to get the heck out of town uh don't come back <laughs> and then <laughs> until i he tell basically you basically says like basically our way of life as we know it has ended tamas has killed it by taking off the, you know, taking out the crown, and nope. <laughs> now we are entering a new age of Adipest. Uh So he gets his family out of there, and he's, like, trying to find answers. He's looking in books. Pages are ripped out. You know, someone is obviously hiding something here. He's, like, crawling through sewers to get to access, like, different parts of the towns that have been shut down due to all the infighting and the civil war that's going on. So yep. he's got kind of a grueling job, and he hires uh, some some muscle named Sue Smith as his bodyguard. And we get introduced <laughs> to Sue Smith as this old kind of has-been, like, uh, bare-knuckle boxer guy, and he's in the ring with this young whippersnapper, and the guy's beating him, and, and Sue Smith's all bloody and laying on the ground, and the guy's like, yeah, I'm winning. And Sue Smith just, <laughs> like 
gives him he one haymaker. Him. He just like he, he's yeah, he's just like he rose in one second and like punches him and like he just lays out flat like um I think of that one movie with um Brad Pitt as the um as the bare knuckle boxer. Uh, I think it is it Snatch? I wanna say it's Snatch and he just like punches uh-huh. the guy and he's like in midair, like horizontal, <laughs> like, yeah. and Snooze Smith just like walks out. So that was a great introduction and um, to Sue Smith, um, and yeah. So Adamant is on the trail and he's discovering information. And how does he? Um, how does he totally figure this out? I think he goes to see Bo. Is that is that right? Yeah, he goes all the okay. way out to. Got to look at the map. Shoulder like crown. A shoulder crown, and there's like a little. It's like almost like a a filled in volcano, I think, is what it looks like in the map. Yep. It's called Shoulder Crown Fortress mm-hmm. and the Crescent Caldera. And there's like a little kind of like a little town up in that in the uh the caldera up there. There's a lake and some different things. Um yeah, I think he goes all the way out there to kind of figure out cuz he's basically all of his leads end up dry because yeah, like you were saying all of the Somebody has basically went around to all of the different books and like tore out all of the pages. And I remember he went to that one library in like the middle of the night and the, the one lady's like, Why are you here? And he's like, I need to find and she's these She's like sixteen. Yeah, I need to find these books. And then she sees all the pages ripped out and she's like aghast. She's like, Who would do this to the books? That's bla- that's defamation, blasphemy. <laughs> she's like super upset that people yeah. would deface her books. Um, that's how I feel about my books. So don't come to my house and then just tear out random pages of books. I'll be very upset. Do you write in your books? Um, I will do like little post-its here. Um, I write in my books. I can't bring myself to write in books. Although I will highlight sometimes. Okay. I won't do that to any like fantasy books though. I don't know. I'm weird. I haven't found like a good system yet to, for note taking i need to i just need to like figure out some good system if you have a good note taking system for books fantasy books whatever leave a comment let me know well, i have a good note taking system i use evernote um sure and i have for years and i have thousands of notes in there but i just haven't done it because it's it's tough for me because i listen to the books like on my commute either to or from school and then when I get to school, I am like, <laughs> I'm very like buzzer to buzzer at my job. I have work from the time I get there. I actually show up about 15 minutes early and I try and get my God time in. And then, so I'm at my desk for 15 minutes and I try and spend some time with God. That doesn't always happen, but I like to try and make it happen. Then I work like the whole day, then I commute home and then I pick up my daughter and do evening stuff. But yeah, I don't have a time I haven't made a time to write down all my thoughts from the book, so I just have to go out of my brain. But yeah. I feel like I'll be more organized one day in the future. But, yeah, I definitely recommend Evernote for a good note-taking system. Yeah. I use uh, Notion, which is kind of similar to Evernote. It's kind of like a note-taking life organizer app, um, which is what we use to keep track of the podcast here and that kind of stuff as well. So I feel like the like the the good way to do it would be to like if i read a chapter of the book it's like i read a chapter and then i would write down my thoughts in notion for each chapter but then that just like that makes me read so much slower than i normally would 
And so like, I can't, like, I almost like can't bring myself to do that because of how slow it'll make the read go. Um, so I need like a way you know to do I've that, tried? but more like efficiently. Yeah. You know what I've tried and I haven't perfected it yet is, um, doing voice memos. So instead of taking sure. the time to actually write the note down, yes. like record like snippets of myself and I've done it yeah. and it's, it's a different way of note taking, but I know some people who swear by it, um, and are really like do a voice memo yes. because like you, there's no typing and I could do it. Any, I could do it in the car. Like I'm saying, like I don't have time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something you could explore. And then also, for stuff that I've done in grad school, just voice to text, just instead of yeah. actually typing out the note, just speaking into it and then having, you know, the yeah. computer write down the things that I'm saying. That's yeah, like another way to it. do things fast. Yep, dictating goes so much faster. I could not do the papers I did in um, my graduate program if it wasn't for dictation. I like had to, I, I get this block when I'm writing because I want to say it in a certain way, but when I'm speaking it, it just flows much more naturally. <laughs> um, so yeah. I definitely love dip dictation because it's just so much easier for me and it goes so much faster and so much easier for me to get all the ideas out and then to go back and edit them and get them in the right order. Yeah. I will say whenever I read on my Kindle, it is much easier to take notes because I can just press and hold and highlight things that I think are interesting. And that's way faster than if I'm taking, if I'm using the post-it notes here, it's way faster than pulling out a post-it note, writing down my note, sticking it in there and then going back to reading. It's way faster to just tap highlight and then keep going. Um, but <laughs> side quest complete. That's a, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you know what? We're doing a side quest right now, and I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have <laughs> book note-taking ideas, leave them in the comments. Maybe I'll, like, maybe I'll just take that portion of the podcast and just make that a, its own video clip from the clip from the <laughs> podcast. How to take – how not to take notes in your books. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so where were we? We were talking about adamants doing research and going to all the different uh, – yep libraries and stuff looking for information on Christmere's promise which he can't find any information but he does get to get a lead that he can go all the way out to shoulder crown which is i think they said it was like a two-day journey by a carriage i think that's what it was mm -hmm. um, so he yep. goes all the way out and there yeah you can go ahead keep going and yeah and then so he meets um privileged borbador um who's called Bo, and this is Daniel's childhood friend and they kind of grew up in Tamas's household together um, and he's a privilege and he was exiled from the royal cabal and Tamas at one point was like I made sure that he was like relocated to the mountain watch and the mountain watch is very much like Game of Thrones like uh, the watch you know they defend the yeah. wall and everything and um, and it's also full of like outcasts and criminals and stuff they go there to serve their time and very similar to that so Bo is up there serving out his exile um, and he's the only privilege there and he's kind of he's kind of a people's person so he's he's very friendly and he and he makes yep. uh, friends with people up in the mountain watch and everything um, but he is he has been part of the royal cabal so he's had access to kind of 
um, secret and esoteric knowledge only known by the cabal. Um, and he talks to um, uh, Adamant about the Geiss. So essentially, we learn that uh, Kresimir said that there should be rulers of the nine um, nations and they should be kings and their royal cabals will protect them. And then when, if, if you know, the king is executed, whoever killed the king must be killed by a privilege and there's this geist which is basically like a i think it's, it takes the form of a necklace around Bo's throat and it's yep. an unbreakable charm that um compels, like, yeah, Bo compels to them. go out and uh to seek revenge for manhooch's death which mm-hmm. in this case means to kill tamis the guy who took him in uh raised him with vlora yep. um Tamis raised Vlora, who's a powder mage and who's engaged to Taniel, who we'll talk about. And then um, and Taniel, who's his son and who's a very strong powder mage. And then we have privileged Borbador or Bo. Um, and then Adamant delivers his message, which was from Rosalia. So in his searching, he was in a library and he bumps into our Preddy, who is our super powerful privilege. And uh, she asked him to deliver a very cryptic message to uh, Bo, which is, she will try to summon Kresimir. And Bo hears this and he freaks. Because previously, whenever out. he was previously whenever he was talking to him, Bo was kind of like, eh, don't worry about that. It's not a big deal, kind of a thing. Like he was kind of trying to write it off. But then after he got that cryptic message then his complete his whole demeanor changed after that he runs off he's full of purpose and he's like ah <laughs> and adamant tries to talk to him more but bo's not having it he just he just yeah. pieces out <laughs> yeah so he does get the information i guess that he wanted he figures out what the what cresimir's promise is and the other thing with the cresimir's or with the like bo's the gay what, how do you pronounce that? Gaia's? Gaia's? Uh, the Geis. The Geis, yeah. It's like a it's like a process. So at the very beginning, it's not as compelling, but he can still feel like a slight tug. But like the longer and longer it goes on, it becomes more and more compelling until there's a, there'll be a point where you're like, he can't resist it anymore in a sense. Um, and if he does resist it, he'll die. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah so adamant goes back to adopt adopist is that that's the town's name right adipest yeah um so he goes back to town and he gets to tell tamis the things that he's learned and then tamis gives him a new job because he's completed the second completed this job and he gives them a second job which is to um figure out who uh is his betrayer who's the person who gave him up and tried to have him assassinated um with the uh the kez warden and so that's his new job and there's also kind of like a side story with adamant as well like dealing with his own personal struggles because i think there was this there's a story with him where he basically he tried to start some kind of business and he took out a loan and then the money uh the thing that he had taken out the loan for was destroyed. So, but he still owed all the money and his business crashed and burned. Um, 
And so there's this person, I think the person who we owed the money to died or something Pelagi. like that. Pelagi. It's a really weird name, Pelagi. Yeah, so this person, I think, did he, I think he died in like the coup or something like that. But then somebody else takes over his loan. Do you yep. remember the specifics of that? Um, yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know exactly where it is in the book, so I'll just... Uh, so Adamant takes out a loan from a friend who's in this, like, reputable bank, and then yep. that bank falls into trouble. Pelagi, who's a street thug, takes over Adamant's loan and charges a lot of percentage and sits back and watches Adamant's business fail. Um, Adamant is, like, in the whole about 80,000 crowner which is a lot of money anyway you look at it um, yep. and then Pelagi is trying to get leverage over Adamant and said I need to find your family why'd you send them away because he doesn't know about the coup yet um, and then uh, he's like Adamant's like I still have two months uh, before you um, you know come collect take my house and yeah come collect and all this stuff so um and then um, we are introduced to a new character named Lord Vetus, who shows up with Pelagi. Um, and yep. Vetus is kind of this uh, booky sort of person. But um, we learn very quickly that he's very ruthless. So Pelagi yep. is like saying how he's going to get out of it and he needs to like pay off his loan. And then. Uh, Lord Vetus just has Pelagi strangled by one of his goons. They, they garrot him right there, which is a garrot is where they strangle someone to death. Um, and he just leaves the body, like uh, Lord Vetus just leaves the body, and he's like, in his house. See, yeah, he's like, I will come back with leverage, and then he just leaves. Um, yep. And so that is how we are introduced to Lord Vetus. Um, so who is now the third person who kind of takes over. Um, seeing Adamant pay pay back his loan, and he wants he wants information, and he wants information about Temes um, yep. and what he's doing. Yep. And so he can um, use like his, he can use the loan and the money that he owes as like blackmail for him to be like a double agent for and uh, betray Tamis. Everyone right. everyone's mm -hmm. betraying Tamis, man. Guy can't catch a break, can he? He's at, he's at the center of a lot of controversy, that's for sure. He's trying to save the country, and you guys are all ganging up on him, betraying him, yep. selling him out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's kind of basically where we're going to leave off Adamant's story until the next episode. And let's jump into Daniel. I feel like we're way over time, but <laughs> we'll see see what happens here. So Tamiel, Taniel is uh, Tamis's son, and he is a powder mage, like his father. Um, I think all the powder mages have like slightly different abilities, or like, or maybe they're more skilled in some things. Because I think Taniel mm -hmm. can do some of the things that his father does, but his father is more skilled in some things than he is, and vice versa. Um, probably just depends on like your training and like what you focus on whenever you. Uh, are a powder and mage. some of it's innate because sure, Laura yeah. has the ability to ignite powder from like I yeah. think a, a regular powder mage can do it at like a dozen paces and she can do it at like hundreds of paces I think yep. is what's said in the book yeah um, so yeah Daniel was like out of country he was helping to like uh, I, 
I'm trying to, I can't remember all the specific reason why he was out. He was in, was it, uh, I gotta look at the map. Gotta take a, uh, Fatrasta. Fatrasta, yeah. So he was in a different country helping like some local people or something like that. Um, and this is where he meets, uh, Kapol, who's like a, people call her like the, like a savage or something. Cause she's not from, uh, Adro, she's like one of the I think they're just more of like a not as uh, developed country I guess you could say um, and so she uh, he meets her and he I think he saves her life at some point and so now she kind of is basically like his partner and she kind of con- uh, is his traveling companion and protector and they help each other out and they you know she's uh, I think she's a privilege is that her status so yeah so she is a magic wielder um she doesn't use the gloves and i think um in fatrasta they refer to them as boni um, yes yes and, you're right but but she is also of dionize descent so i think dionize is like another um part mm-hmm. of the nine and she's yeah. she's got like red fiery hair and very pale skin and freckles and so she's very like um striking um to you know, if we're doing Game of Thrones, like kiss by fire or touch by fire or whatever they say in the she, show. He's, she's like an Aielman um, from Wheel of Time with the red hair. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, so she's like, we learn throughout the book um, that people are scared of Carpool. Um, she is, um, she scares some of the Preddy even. Um, so there's something going on with her ability to wield magic. And one of the most important traits about Carpole is she's a mute. She can't speak. Yep. Um, so her and Taniel have like a sort of language where she like um, signs things to him. She also can mouth a few words to him, but they most, you know, they have the um, like the sign language where, well, Taniel will just speak to her. Yep. she understands everything that's being spoken but um yep. yeah um so and then yeah fatrasta is kind of like um it's kind of like they said it's kind of like a swamp land i almost feel like it was like the americas like kez is trying to go to a new continent and take over and then there's an uprising of the people that are there um yep. and people who want to live there and live free from the kez um and so taniel is fighting in this war and he even describes it as a war that was not his own um, you know, he just was there and then like the revolution broke out and he just had to pick a side and he chose to, uh, fight against the Kez and he was killing privilege over there, uh, with Carpole. And then, uh, they came back after like two years of fighting there and he's a war hero. Everyone knows his name. He's famous around the world as Taniel Two-Shot. Daniel, um, Daniel and he's two able shot. to, yep, Taniel Two-Shot. Um, so He's got a lot of, uh, and he's young. He's like in his early twenties. Um, and Carpole is at the beginning of the book. Um, he's like, he's believes that she's a very young girl, like 13 or 14, but, um, she's like, um, his spotter 19 um, is what she is. Yeah. So yeah, we discover later that she's older than he first thought. So they're only like three years apart instead of like 10 years apart. Um, in age 
and yeah, she's able to not only do magic, uh, which we'll talk about, um, but also um, she's like a skilled tracker, and yep. her and Daniel work very well together. And then one of the things that Daniel says is, you know, I haven't tracked um, people in a in a city before. Um, and so, yeah, so we talked about how Tamis had the coup and he killed the uh, royal cabal. And um, and so there's this one privilege who got away and we learned that's Rosalia. And so Taniel is paired with a mage breaker and um, a privilege. So a mage breaker is a privilege who has given up their ability to wield sorcery in order to nullify it and there's this yep. polarization effects with the privileged gloves where their gloves turn blue and i think gold maybe and they are actually able to cancel the privilege um so um the so they're with the mage breaker and then the privilege is julene uh and we learned that um she is actually a pretty and they are on the hunt for rosalia who is actually a royalist she doesn't want the uh tamas coup to succeed and then she's she tries to stop it and that's why she's at the palace but she gets there too late um and yep. that's um but she's siding with the royalist and she's with um what's his name west haven yes um and she's actually one of the one who throws a fireball and i think actually hits west haven and um ends up causing his death yeah um I think but she's yeah, also she's, a, kind of, she's also a pretty too, isn't she, Rosalia? Yes, she is, because um, they track her and they have multiple encounters with her. And Daniel runs her through with his bayonet. Yep. Um, and and she just like walks away. Like, yep. Oh, he was like, uh, that's not normal. <laughs> that is, <laughs> he's that like, is, I know privileges are strong, but with... you can't kill them. <laughs> it's like he's he knows he's killed privileges before, so the fact that it's taking so much more to kill Rosalia kind of makes it seem like she's maybe a little bit more special than he once thought. And same with Julene because of that, whenever they track her to that university and they have that like big battle, Julene and Rosalia have like this massive magic battle, which is pretty epic. And I think Daniel is just sitting there like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Like I can't, I can't be a part of this magic wielding fight. Like I'm going to get destroyed here. So I think he's just kind of like watching. Yeah. I think one of my favorite scenes from the battle. Um, so real quick, uh, there was one more member of the council that we did not talk about yet. And his name is prime lector. Um, and he, and he is the head of this university. Um, but he's part of the council. So he's not there at the university when this fight happens. Um, and Daniel's like up in a tower and he's like trying to shoot uh, Rosalia and she makes this chopping motion with her with her gloves on and, and Daniel kind of closes his eyes in an anticipation of something bad happening to him and he's like nothing's happening and then he feels like he's in the tower he just feels the whole tower shift and then he realizes that she's cut the tower in half and he's like like the top half of the tower is like collapsing and like falling yep. down. He's like, ah, <laughs> I have to get out. Yeah. And so he's like in his powder trance and he's like, he, he gets out unscathed, but he was like, that should not have worked. I should have been at least like very, he's like, he was even jarred in his powder trance, I think is the way the book um, put it. Um, so <laughs> that, you know, 
when you're fighting against people who can chop buildings in half, like, <laughs> that, yeah, it's not a good spot to be in. <laughs> nah, yeah, I'd probably avoid those situations if I could. Yeah. Don't think I'd get myself mixed up in that. Um, mm-hmm. I th- I, th- I do think it's cool to have the um, uh, the character who can prevent the magic from happening. What I for some reason my I am blanking on his name. Starts and, with a G. He's a yeah. mage breaker. Gothen. Yep. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's his name. Gotham. Gothen. Gotham. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Good job. There you go. Um, so yeah, he's pretty cool. Um, but unfortunately <clears throat> I think he's killed in that battle at the university. Yep. Um, cause he, hit, oh, oh yeah. He, he melts. Yeah. <laughs> just, what a bad did, way to go. Did you want a more gory book of character just melting? Um, yeah. So that basically happen, that happens sh- another- as the mage breaker. Yeah, go ahead. As the mage breaker, he's like trying to resist the uh, the privilege magic that's coming at him, yep. but he doesn't realize it's a pretty. So he's like, you know, I tried to stop her before, and like my nullification skills should like she should not be able to do this, but he doesn't realize he's facing off like against like basically ten or twenty privileges in one person. That's how yep. powerful the pretty are, um, yep. and so. That's why he ends up melting. Yeah. Sorry, Gotham. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. I like I liked him. He seemed like an seemed like a cool guy. Um, but yeah, what what's that quote from uh Lord of the Rings? What can man do against such reckless hate from Theoden? Oh, great quote. Mm-hmm. Um So yeah, there that's kind of um there's the portion where they have the the battle at the university I'm trying to see whoops i just messed up the uh recording here sorry folks <laughs> that's okay if you're on audio you never saw anything so it doesn't matter um so yeah they have that battle at the university and basically they have to let rosalia go because she's just too powerful and uh Taniel uh, is just like just if you're going to leave and not be against us, that's fine. Just take off and go. Cause basically what, uh, Tamas didn't want was her to be constantly a thorn in his side and keep them from accomplishing what they wanted to do. So he just lets her go and leaves the country essentially. Um, and then kind of the next phase of Daniel's story is, uh, his father sends him on this quest to go confront Bo, his childhood friend, who we met earlier whenever adamant had went out there to get the information about Cresimere's promise. And so because, uh, Bo is going to have to, at some point attempt to kill Tamis, Tamis is sending his own son and Bo's best friend to kill him. And so that's Daniel's job. He has to go all the way out there and kill his best friend. Um, yeah, which is kind of a, Tamis. Yeah, which is kind of like a lame thing for Tamis to do to his own son, because I don't know. I, I guess his his rationale is that he's my most. You're the most talented powder mage that I have. You're gonna be the person who can get the job done and not mess it up. Um, so you're you're the you're the one that has to go uh, and do it. And I think th- I think there was a really cool scene 
with him and uh, with Daniel and Tamis, where he's basically like, I'll do it if it's an order, not if you're asking me to do it. And that's like, right. Tamis has to decide like, okay, am I going to order my son to kill his best friend? So that's like his, the decision he has to make, which yeah, it's kind of lame. But like, again, as we said, Tamis is like, this is the goal. This is the objective. Nothing gets in the way. No personal feelings, no family members. Nothing's going to stop me from getting what I need to do done. So he orders him to go uh, and do it. So, which I think Daniel is kind of like, this, this is the port. This is the part of his father where he's just really frustrated with, like he never sees, like he never, he doesn't say no, I guess he doesn't. I'm trying to think of like the best way to phrase this. I don't really know a good way to phrase it. He's too myopic, I guess. He doesn't consider like personal feelings at all. Mm. Yeah. Lacking of compassion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and just, I, I mean, I, I just think you go back to the quote. I mean, he's just doing what's expedient. Um, he's, he's, he knows that his son has been known to kill privilege uh, while he was in Fatrasta. He's known for it. He's yep. the best person for the job. And he's just like, I could send someone else, but you know what? You're the best at it. So, you know what? The uh, job <laughs> goes to you because you're too the best. Bad. So, yeah. Yep, too bad. Yeah. So, basically, they go out there and they're going up to the the area where Bo is and Daniel's like in his mind deciding like if he has to do it is he going to do it you know in his head he's thinking about the situation um and he gets up to the end and he he basically he can't do it he's so he's instead of just taking the shot when he could have he decides to just walk up and talk to Bo and this is where we kind of have a a revelation with Julene, who's the the companion that's been traveling around with Daniel for a while, help uh, helping to him to hunt down the the rest of the royal cabal privileged, and so I think she tries to kill Bo because Daniel won't do it essentially, and then they kind of Daniel and Daniel and Bo together fight off Julene, and she like shape shifts as I guess the best way I could describe it into this lion and she's trying to attack, attack Bo and kill him. And they, they basically just like fling her off the mountainside. Um, it's just pretty, pretty crazy. And they're like, yeah, she's a probably not dead though, even though we flung her off a mountainside. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, they go, so Daniel arrives down at the mountain watch and he has to get a guide to go up the mountain and he gets this guy named Gavril who's this big drunk uh, and he's like yeah, yeah Gavril he'll, he'll take you up the mountain and then <laughs> they have to pass through like a monastery that is really like a cool piece of like like description where it's basically hanging out over space in thousands of thousands of like feet where they could fall out if they were living and so you have these monks that live up there and they are protecting the 
path to Kresem Kurga, which is where Kresemir landed at the top of the mountain in the volcano and where he touched down and like the whole you know place collapsed and there's a holy city at the top and Bo has gone through the monastery which is the only way up to the holy city and he's past that and there's a cave up there and so it's um Taniel and Karpol and um Gavril and yeah during this fight so it's a lion but it's also got like talons um and like she's still able to do magic in her chosen form and then most importantly um the fight is really ended by Kapol who has a doll of Juline and she's like wickedly like stabbing it with a needle and it's like at the end she takes yeah it's like voodoo and then like she takes the doll and she like blows on it and that's what like launches Juline off the side of the mountain and so you're having Kapol who's this you know wisp of a girl fighting you know one of the most powerful entities on the planet you have the pretty who are just make the um you know make the privilege look like children playing with matchsticks compared to their power and you know carpole is able to fight her off with um bow and then we have this um revelation that um taniel has been um protected um somehow by is like yeah um and Bo is like i set enough traps up here to disarm like a whole royal cabal and you walked right through them and you set them all off and you didn't even know <laughs> like and so Bo is like motioning to taniel like don't come up here and taniel's like he knows like i'm coming and i'm gonna kill him and um but yeah so you have this crazy display of power by carpol as she blows juline off the side of the mountain um and that was that was a good scene like i didn't yep. i didn't know that people could shape shift when i first read this and i was just like whoa yeah. she's like a lion she's got these crazy talons that's when i was just like this is this is a really cool book because not only do we have our powder mages and our wardens we have like people who can change form into lions and we have carpole with her doll magic her voodoo magic <laughs> yeah i love learning all the different small little intricacies of Kapol's magic. Seems like there's a lot to unravel with her. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> I'm sure there's more coming. There's like One thing I will yep, say that I books. read, this is uh, a little f- a further, a few more chapters down the line, but she, make, she gives, uh, she makes these like bullets for Taniel. These like red stripes. Red stripes. The red stripe bullets who are able to like uh, cut through the privileged shields that they put up for themselves. So that's one way that he's able to take out some of the privilege because he Kapol makes these special bullets for him, which is another pretty cool, pretty cool element. Um, so she can like, she has a lot of magic that can combat uh, the magic of the other privileged. So yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, she's very powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically where we're going to leave off Taniel's story. And so one of the revelations, though, after that scene is that they are able to look over the mountainside and they're able to see basically like this massive army of Kez uh, coming together. And they're preparing to basically invade through uh, like where the where Shoulder Crown Fortress is. 
think I'm trying to remember right. what the there's like a specific name for the pass that they have to go through. It's like this really narrow, like mountainous terrain. Um, I don't yeah, remember I the name, remember it but off the top of yeah, my it's head. like a a very narrow kind of mountainous area that they're trying to invade through and go through this fortress. Um, but I think it's twofold that they want to go this way. One is um, that it's a, a different entrance than most people would think. So they have more of an element of surprise. And then also uh, Juline wants to get into um, the Kresimir's kind of palace area up at the top of the mountain to re-summon Kresimir. And so that's kind of the twofold reason why they're going this way, because it's close to that, that area. Um, and so that's going to be the next, the next part of the story is the, the battle for that little, that little area of the map, which I have not finished reading yet in the book. And I'm excited to see how that ends. So, um, oh, the, be the so beginning part revealed. of it is really cool. There's so much revealed. I yep. had to hold it back. Hold it back. So it's going to be next, good. Next episode. Um, cool. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else you got? I, I think we hit it all. I think we hit it all too, or as much as we could remember. Yeah, um, as much as we could remember. That's, <laughs> <the point. laughs> that's right. Um, so that's going to do it for this episode. I don't even know how long this is, but that's okay. Uh, next episode, we're going to be doing part two of this book. We'll finish the, finish it out. Uh, once I finish the story and we'll complete our discussion of this. And then I think the next book we're going to be doing is Dune Messiah. I think that's going to be the next book on the list. So if you want to read that along with us, uh, pick that up and uh, give it a read, and then you'll be prepared for the, uh, those episodes of the podcast. Um, if you want more Pages of Light content, you can head over to our website, pagesoflight.com. You can also so follow us on social media. Uh, YouTube, if you want to watch the video version, please go over there and subscribe and you can watch that and also some other videos that I've done as well. Um, as of recording this, um, actually today, the day I'm recording this, I put up a review of Cytonic by Brandon Sanderson, so you can go over and check that video out. And yeah, you can follow Gabe at NeighborhoodNerdServices.com and check out what he's doing over there. And links to all of those things, of course, will be in the description, as well as a link to buy uh, this book, Promise of Blood. I think it was a really good read. Uh, it's fun to read something that's more a little bit more action-oriented and fast-paced than uh, The Wheel of Time has been. The Wheel of Time is more of a slow-burn fantasy series, and this is a little bit more uh, action, packed to the gills, excitement. So... Yeah, definitely a different read. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any last thoughts, Gabe? You excited for the part two? Oh, man. I, I want to talk about all the things that are going to be revealed. So I'm looking forward to our next conversation. I think it's going to be really good. Awesome. Uh, great. If you enjoyed this, please support the podcast. Leave a review. Go and subscribe on your podcast app. Do all those things. Um, yeah, thanks for listening or watching. Remember to keep reading, and we will... Um, no, I didn't. I did it wrong. Remember to keep reading and to share the gospel with somebody this week. And Thank we will, you. Yes. <laughs> we will see you guys you in the way. next episode. Peace. <laughs>